Welcome to GRIT, the Real Estate Growth Mindset Podcast, hosted by Brian Charlesworth, founder of Sisu. Sisu provides growth automation software for real estate. You'll hear stories from real estate thought and technology leaders, team owners, and brokers on how they grew their business in a rapidly changing industry. You'll learn how to transform your brokerage and teams into a high-performing and analytics-driven business so you have a new, durable, competitive advantage against disruption in your market. So let's get right into it. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Grit Podcast. I'm Brian Charlesworth. I'm the founder of Sisu, the growth automation software for real estate, and your host of the show. And today I'm here with Erica Ramos with Ramos Realty Group. Geez, Erica, if you were to go to her website, which is RamosRealty.com, you will see hundreds of awards here. But a few that I wanted to, to key in on is top 20 under 40 in the Northeast Pennsylvania. She is top 25 women in business in 2008 in Northeast Pennsylvania. And a number of other things. She's a volunteer and has dozens of awards on there. So go check that out. And I'm thrilled to be here today with you, Erica, and look forward to learning more about how you're driving your business forward in such a, a great way. Thanks, Brian. Tell us, so you have Ramus Realty Group and that's a brokerage, right? Yep, I, I describe it as we are fiercely independent and it's a small group of highly productive full-time agents. Uh, we're the number one independent brokerage in our marketplace and um, we just operate very differently. Okay. I love it. Independent people are usually super aggressive, have their systems in place extremely well. So I do want to dive into some of those things with you, but don't you run your business more like a team as well, even though you're a brokerage? We're a brokerage, but I think you could describe it as a super team concept. So I'm the broker. I'm the rainmaker for the most part. I consider my job to be bringing in the, the leads. That's that's my job. That's my focus. I do all the marketing for the brokerage. I handle on the back end, all the paperwork, and I actually communicate with the clients. So yes, my agents bring their own business in. They have a lot of repeat referral business, but I am always there in the background. Um, so we have 12 agents and there's a minimum production quota in the office of 24 sides a year. So my agents must close at least two a month to stay in the office. They have to be full-time. If we bring on a part-timer or a new person, they have to have a transition plan. We have to have a time frame and a hard stop of when they will be quitting the full-time job. I understand it's difficult, um, but we have to have a plan. We don't hire part-time hobbyists. Everything is done by the brokerage, everything from ordering the signs to the lockboxes to paying for all of the the Zillow ads, all of the marketing is paid for by the broker. And so we control the whole process start to finish. And while other brokerages talk about we are agent centric, we are client centric, client first, agent will follow. And it's just the mission and the vision of the business. Okay. Good. I love that. So, geez, I, I had about 10 questions that just came up while, while you're talking about that. So you guys are a brokerage. 
But when you say you act like a team, you're doing the marketing. And if you're paying for Zillow leads, I know what kind of dollars you're paying there. And uh, I mean, you're, you're putting out a substantial uh, investment in doing that. You are acting as a TC, you're bringing in their leads, you're recruiting agents. Is that something you're doing or is somebody else in your office doing the recruiting? We actually don't actively recruit. Everyone who's been in the office came to us through their act of being proactive. I do not go out and recruit agents. They come to us. Okay. We actually turn down more agents than we accept. So So you have a reputation of being the top brokerage that only top producers are allowed and you guys actually provide leads and do transaction coordination and all the stuff that a normal team does so the agents can focus on selling real estate. Is that right? Exactly. I don't want them doing the back end stuff. I don't want them to worrying about um, how to do the marketing. I just want them to get in the car, list and sell properties. That's it. Go to closing and we will handle all the rest. Okay. Okay. So you really are like a, a power team. What about splits? Do you do you charge like a brokerage? Do you charge like a team? How, how do you guys make money? We have a straight split. Everybody's on the same program. Everybody's on the same plan. We pay for everything in the office. So the agents have to do nothing except show up and sell. Yep. Uh, and, and we're on a split. So if somebody wants higher split or wants more money, um, it's just not fair. And it's not how the program works in our office. Makes sense. I, I think that's how every team out there that I've ever met operates as well. So, um, okay. So why an independent brokerage? You said you are fiercely independent. Let's talk about that. So I've been a part of multiple franchises. I was a, an agent mm-hmm. years ago at a franchise and I started out with a franchise when I went on my own. I, I knew I knew how to run a business because I had been a business owner in the past, but I didn't believe that I knew or had all the systems and the tools to run my own company. So I did go out and purchase a franchise and it was a huge mistake in in my opinion, because the systems and the tools they gave me, I had to bend and tweak until they were my own anyway. Mm -hmm. And I was paying a franchise fee and it, it just wasn't a perfect fit for me. So the turning what, what point value, is, what value were you hoping to get out of that franchise that you didn't get? I think I was hoping for more guidance. So when they sold me the franchise, they said, we have websites, we have this, we have that. You can have all this when, when you're one of our franchisees. And as soon as I had signed on, I said, okay, where's my website? And they gave me a point two website, you know, the lowest possible free website that that's out there in the world. And I said, that's not what I signed on for. I wanted a real website. This was 2007. I ended up paying $5,000 to a custom designer to get what I wanted anyway. So, and it went down the list. They said, we have marketing, we'll create custom ads for you. So I would contact the marketing department, the ad department and say, this is what I want. And two weeks later, there's, there's an ad in my inbox. This is, was not exactly what I wanted. And it was late. And I ended up creating my own ads anyway. So I went through the whole process also of not having my name on the business. And just me personally, in my area, I was known as a local business owner. Mm-hmm. I had a prior business. And um, the turning point was a local attorney called Century 21 down the street and said, I'm looking for Erica Ramis and I can't find her. He couldn't find me in the phone book. 
and Century 21 was very nice and gave them my brokerage name, the franchise, and gave them my phone number. And he called me up and he said, I'm listing my house with you, but I couldn't find you. I want Ramus on your name. So and you were actually a C21 brokerage. And- actually, I was not. I was, I was realty executives. Okay. And the attorney called Century 21, one of my competitors, to ask how to find me. Okay. They realty were executives. I, I don't, I don't even, I'm not even familiar with realty executives. Uh, where are they based out of? So they were out, were out of Phoenix and they were the first hundred percent franchise. They started before Remax. Really? So, yep. They started year, just a couple of years before Remax. This, this gentleman in, in the Phoenix area started realty executives. It was a hundred percent concept. And apparently his right-hand man left and went and started Remax. Oh, okay. So that's the story there. But I loved their I loved their marketing and I loved their message. Their message was, we are executives. This is our full-time job. Um, they called their people associates and not salespeople. And I thought, I want to hire a team of executives. I don't want to hire salespeople. So I bought the franchise and I consider that my first master's degree, that that output that I put, you know, to buy the franchise. I spent $25,000 or more, and I got three years of training really fast on how I wanted to run my business. So I, I show here that you actually hold a master's degree in real estate. Is that what you consider your master's yeah. degree in real estate? Or did you get that from no, education at a school? I would consider that's my second master's. <laughs> So I paid okay. another 25 grand for that. So, so tell us about getting a master's in real estate in school, because I don't know if I know anybody else that I've met that actually has that. There's not many programs out there. I mean, Temple has one, Wharton has one, um, Columbia University in Missouri has one, but it was a program actually that NAR spearheaded uh, in well, they, it took them about five years to get it up and rolling on the ground, but it opened in 2010, 2011. And they, NAR put this program together for a full master's and it's an accredited master's degree out of Illinois. And after okay. running it for a couple of years and putting seven or eight groups of students through, they spun it off. So now it's a program at Columbia University in Columbia, Missouri. Um, but it is a fully accredited master's degree. It, it took two years um, of eight-week modules. We had to do a capstone final dissertation, and it was a rigorous program. And I was the, one of the first thirteen people in the country to receive it. So, wow! Um, but hey, it yeah, was, I, you're you're the first one I've met that that actually has that. So I may need to get an autograph from you or something when I see you next. <laughs> It just means I put my time in and um, I wanted it not so much that I could put it on my resume, but because I wanted the experience. It basically was giving me what I learned through buying my franchise, but at a a different level. We had to put together operating procedures. We had to put together a business, a full business plan, marketing plan, the whole works. It took two years and um, I did my dissertation on dual agency in the country and it was a good experience, but it also just brought me to a different level as far as my understanding of the whole business. 
Which is probably why you went the route of starting your own brokerage, I'm guessing. I think so. Yeah. Okay. So as a brokerage, as a broker owner, as an independent broker, you're really working as a team, which means you're providing leads. It also means you're providing technology for your people. Talk to us about your technology stack and what you guys are doing there. Technology stack is, um, it's always a challenge. I always want to hone it down and have everything talk to each other. The biggest problem I've had over these years is there's this piece here and there's this piece here and there's this piece here. And and the agents don't want to log into 17 dashboards to get- You sound sound like me, honestly. I mean, that's, that's the same thing I say every day. (laughs) <laughs> I want them to go to one place and there's never going to be a single sign on. I don't know, but they've got to go to the MLS. We use Boomtown for our lead gen and CRM and also drip campaigns. And I've tweaked Boomtown to be almost everything. I know there's other people who use Boomtown as lead gen, and then they have something else for contract to close or to, to do, um, all the touches that they do, but we Mm -hmm. do everything in Boomtown. And then from Boomtown, we move to Dotloop. Dotloop is our transaction management program. So they can actually start a loop in Boomtown with a buyer or seller, move it to Dotloop. Dotloop is our contracts and signature and task lists. And then as soon as we get under contract, we bring it into Sisu. And Sisu is our contract to close. It is our accountability program where we see what's in the pipeline. It's how I pay the agents and it's how we keep track of, of the vitals. Okay. So um, we are just updating the payment piece there in the very near future. So you can actually make your payments from CISU as well. So excited about that. Um, but you guys are using a different workflow than most of our customers that go from Boomtown to CISU to then dot loop. So anyway, it's just interesting to see the workflows and, Uh, You and I share the same vision that there really should only be one or two softwares that you actually need to sign into and that everything should speak or that uh, you should just minimize where the data is having to be entered. So the agents get confused and think about most agents and their their personalities, their personalities are their drivers, their sellers. They're not detail oriented. The, the typical agent wants to go out and sell and bring the bring the vacant home. The typical agent does not want to sit there and open 12 different windows to figure out, I'm going to update Boomtown. Then I'm going to take it over here. Then I'm going to update it over here. It drives them nuts. Yeah, that was a big part of the, the mission we were looking to solve when we started CSU. As you know, we're still working on that. So great. So you are still in production or you're not in production today? I am minorly in production. So I used to do millions and millions. And in my area, we're a small, local, rural part of Pennsylvania. Average price point is about 100000 So when you tell someone you're a million-dollar producer around here, that's, that's high stuff. You know, million-dollar producer around here is selling 10 to 12 houses a year. So it's a big deal. But I am minorly in production because there will always be certain buyers or sellers I have to have my hand on or we won't get. Um, There are people who call up and say, I will have you. I have to have you. You've sold three of my houses in the past. And so I will take that on and gently try to slide them to another agent. 
I take everything I can, even my personal stuff, and have another agent on it with me. And even if my name is on it, the agent assisting me will get the money. They'll get the payment. Um, the way we work the team is the agents will get every lead that comes in unless it's a personal lead. If it's a personal lead and I'm trying to transfer it to one of the agents, they know that they're allowed to return the call and say, hey, Dr. So-and-so, I know you called Erica. She says you want to list your house. I'm Erica's partner. Because there's a certain level of client who won't speak to anyone except me. And that's not me being full of ego. It's just Dr. Smith calls and says, I have to have Erica Ramos. Well, my partner calls me, calls him back. You know, um, yeah, it's a great approach. Uh, but I, I also feel that I have to have a little bit of boots on the ground because I need to know what they're going through and the pain points. And um, sometimes I do it just to show them I'm one of them. So when we were on lockdown, I had challenges going with Boomtown and Sisu, mm-hmm. and we had dial challenges. And they were supposed to log their their calls every time they made a call. It was supposed to be logged into Boomtown. It funneled into Sisu, and we had leaderboards and we had challenges. And I told them, "I'm right there with you. When I tell you I want ten dials a day minimum, I'm making ten dials a day too." So I reached out one day to someone who I didn't even think was even thinking of selling. It was a past client who told me he was redoing his bathroom in January. He called me and asked, what do I think about this kind of tile? And I said, that's fantastic. He says, they're going to live and die in that house. Well, I called him in April and just left a voicemail and said, hey, wondering how you did with the tile. Did did you finish the bathroom? And he called me right back and said, oh, my God, I just got transferred to Nashville. Do you want to list the house? So I listened nice. to house and then told the whole team, you know, I made the dial, random dial, and we got a high-end listing out of it. Yeah, congratulations. So you had challenges, sales challenges going on with the leaderboards, the CSU gamification during COVID in, I would say, March and April, likely that was. Yep. And so most businesses that did what you did are up significantly this year because they took advantage of that time to differentiate themselves. Most businesses that sat and didn't do that and find ways to increase their activity are down this year. Um, Are you guys up this year from from making that move? We're up 28%. And uh, Pennsylvania had a hard stop, meaning we were not supposed to be putting a sign in the ground. We, We weren't even supposed to be letting the sellers do their own showings, nothing. So... Uh, We were shut down from March 18th till May 18th, and we had our best August, September, October in 13 years. So you you were still prospecting during that time, but you really couldn't do real estate. Could you meet? You could meet with people on Zoom. Were you doing Zoom meetings? Uh, Some of them were doing FaceTime specifically. Okay. We were not really doing Zoom meetings. I mainly I tried to keep them motivate it using the leaderboards and challenges. And we have a private Facebook group. So every day I posted something, I want you to write three thank you cards today. Tomorrow, I want you to make 10 dials to pass clients. Wednesday, I want you to, you know, order coffee from your favorite coffee shop. I don't know. We, we posted challenges almost every single day. And we kept them off the couch and off of Netflix and I could tell who was, 
who was making the dials. There was a direct correlation between the people who were making the dials, the texts, the emails, and those who closed in August, September, October. Mm-hmm. And we had a meeting in October where I said, I want you to look at the winners of the May challenge and see who were the top sellers in August. I want you to see the direct correlation between dials to closings. And um, gamification is great, but you've got to put the pieces together for them and show them the top winner of dials actually closed 30% more than she did a year ago. So you can look back and show them that today, which I think is awesome. But what did you do during that time frame to motivate them? Like if they won a sales challenge, what did they get other than being the top producer three months later? Because that's hard to show, right? If you've been enjoying Grit, please help us continue to grow the channel by leaving a five-star review and sharing it with a friend. Now back to Grit. Uh, I, I mixed it up a little bit. The main thing I did was I spend a lot of money on leads, a lot of money on Zillow, not just Zillow, but other portals that we spend money on. Um, we spend money on paid Facebook ads, Boomtown paid spend. Um, so my reward was the more dials you give, the higher on the leaderboard, the more leads you're going to get in your inbox. Mm, very nice. Yeah, that's a good, that's a great motivator. So our- are you tracking in CSU all of your expenses that you're paying for lead sources and getting your ROI on lead source reports? I am not. I do all that in QuickBooks and then I manually do it. I need to do that, but I have not done that. We also have just last year started with the goals with the agents. And so this year we're, we're ramping up and I'm plugging in all the goals. And okay. um, but yeah, I manually figure out, we track everything. We track every closing. And so a couple of years ago, I thought the Zillow spend was out of control. It was kind of stupid. Um, so we dialed it back for a little bit and then we check, checked the ROI and I went like, wow, we need to pump that up again because what I thought was an expensive buy turned out to be a very good ROI. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want a, a quick one-on-one training on how to quickly do that uh, in CISO, I'm happy to, to volunteer some time to, to help you get that in place. Thank you. Um, so uh, I'd like to go back to 1997 with you. You started a magazine. And how do you pronounce the name of your city? It's Schuylkill County. Schuylkill. It's Dutch. Schuylkill. Okay. So Schuylkill County, you started a Schuylkill Living magazine. Tell me about that. Is that how people got to know you or tell me, tell me more about that magazine. Well, and this is called grit. So I'll tell you a little bit about before that. So my degree is in English, professional writing, science, journalism. And in 1987, I started with a magazine called reptile and amphibian magazine. It was a startup and I started at the bottom opening mail and worked my way up to editor in chief And I bought that magazine in 1995 from my boss in the dumbest pregnancy move ever. So I took the magazine over and within two years was three quarters of a million in debt. Uh, Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong from major vendors backing out to the industry 
turning. We talk about disruption in real estate. Mm -hmm. uh, the whole industry got disrupted with two major players who came out to, to hammer. There were two of us, two very small independent magazines, one in L.A., one in Pennsylvania. And two major players came out to hammer us. I don't know if you ever heard Cat Fancy, Dog Fancy, that guy in L.A. And then in New Jersey, there was something called uh, Fancy fish fancy, all kinds of uh, fancy publications out of New Jersey, and they hammered us and we went down in flames. So I'm three quarters of a million in debt and I had this brilliant idea to start a new magazine. So to my husband's credit, I've been with my husband for 30 some years. And he said to me, we have no money, you have no time for your family and you wanna start a brand new magazine out of the, out of the gate. And I said, yes. So he didn't leave me and we started Schuylkill Living Magazine and that was a small local magazine, which you've got to have something like Salt Lake Living or Salt Lake Magazine or yeah. something in, in your city. So my idea was to bring that to the coal region of Pennsylvania and take the big city magazine and bring it to, to the coal region. And people told me, you know, it's not going to work. There aren't enough coffee tables in our county to, to support you. And it worked. It, it took off and it was amazing. So I was the magazine lady and I sold the ads and I saw, I wrote the stories and I took the photos and, you know, I started in 1997 and we just took off. And so two years after suffering this giant business failure, I won business woman of the year in the area. And nobody knew, no, nobody locally knew that I had crashed and burned just two years prior to that. Mm -hmm. um, they they it, only see the upside. They don't see the challenges along no, the journey, right? They they didn't see what had that I ran the business, you know, when I couldn't pay payroll, I used my Discover card. You know, just crazy stuff that that I learned on the first time around that I will never ever ever repeat again. So that I was the magazine lady and when I started in real estate, I started because I had one of my clients was a realtor and they paid me to do their marketing. This was in the day of, you know, SLRs and cameras, real cameras. Mm -hmm. And I would go out and shoot the, the houses and then come back and, and with real film and real pictures, create um, trifold brochures, you know, stuff that nobody knew how to do, but I knew how to do it. And so and you started working with a lot of real estate companies at the time, since you kind of, came up with that that talent and that marketing expertise? I, I just worked with one mainly and they would pay me every time they had a really good listing. And uh, at one point, the guy sold like a $10 million property, which is huge, huge in my area. It was commercial. And he came to me and he said, I just, because of your brochure, I just sold this corner gas station and I made X amount of dollars and here's $500 for you. And if you got your real estate license, I could pay you a nice commission, but because you did the photos, here's 500 bucks. Um, and so the light went off and I got my real estate license. <laughs> okay. That's, that's a cool story. So what year was that, that you were doing that? Because you started your living magazine in 1997, you opened your real estate brokerage in 2007. So, so I got my real estate license in 2000. Okay, um, and I ran both companies for a while. I did. I I had two phones on my desk: the real estate phone and and the magazine phone. And um, 
Yeah, it, they worked together for quite a while, but I was an instant success, not because I was a great real estate salesperson, but because everybody knew me as the magazine lady. And mm. when I got and, a list- And you made it publicly known you were in real estate through the magazine. Yeah, and I took out full page, full color ads in my own magazine. <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> Good for you. All right, well, that's a fun story. Um, so right now you are the president-elect at Reading Burke's Association of Realtors, is that right? Yep. Okay, so you're very active. How do you find time to, I mean, you still have a husband. How do you find time to, uh, you know, juggle your family, uh, your business, and then do the volunteer work that you do as well? Sometimes it's harder than others. This was a tough year. I had a lot of personal travel. My father, my father got really sick in June and he died at Christmas. Um, my, one of my sons went through a, a personal thing and I, I had to make several trips to Austin, Texas in the past six months. So it's hard, but you learn how to time block and juggle. And I think that you make time for what's important to you. So many people say, I didn't have time to do that last night. Well, yeah, but you had time to watch Netflix for three hours. Mm -hmm. So you have, you make time for what's important for you and you systemize things and have, I have a fallback plan. If I, at one point I had to get on a plane and go to Austin with 24 hours notice and everything back at the office was systemized and I was a little bit worried, but they handled it while I was gone for a week. You know, it's. Yeah, it's just what you do. You obviously have a lot of grit, and I love that since this is the Grit Podcast. And uh, just seeing your journey is is a fun thing to see here. Um, I'd love to get your advice for either somebody starting a real estate business or somebody starting just in real estate. Like, what are the most important things in, in each case, or you can choose one that that you would like to give for that person starting a real estate business or starting just in real estate? Starting a business is my wheelhouse. I talk to a lot of people who want to jump ship, who want to open a company because of my articles on Inman writing about independent brokerages. People just call me and ask, say they want, they're a top producer at XYZ and they want to open their own company. And the, the first thing is being top producer at XYZ is not anything like running your own company. Yeah, being a great salesperson and running a business are two different things, right? Uh, they're totally different. And if you want to open a, your own brokerage just because you want to be in charge, that's not necessarily the best reason to open your own company. Um, there's so much work on the back end, and you're not going to get out to do the things you might love. Like you might love listing, you might love working with buyers. If you're running your own company, you're rarely going to do that. It's so number one, understand that there's a difference between those two things. And secondly, you need to understand how to run a business, any business, before you open your own brokerage. And in my business, first business failure and second business success, it led to my third business success. Because if I didn't have the big failures that I had and the really stupid, dumb business moves I made in in 1995 and 1997, I I don't think I'd be as successful. I learned really be, by falling on my face 
what mm-hmm. not to do the second and third time around. And you have to understand the business world before you open up the doors. And to your point, a lot of people that fall on their face never get back up. And if you can fall on your face and look at that as a learning experience that takes you one step closer to success, then fall on your face as much as you can, right? It's just a different perspective on how you view that. So just don't make the same mistake twice. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It's learning. It's progressing forward, right? It's been fun having you on the show. We're not quite done because I want to ask you some personal questions before we go. So um, do you have a few more minutes? Sure. Okay. So you've had exchange students from all over the world. One more thing to uh, just volunteer your time and consume your time instead of Netflix consuming your time. But you've had, I don't know, dozens of exchange students from all over the world come to your house. How did you guys start doing this and, and why? So when I was 16, I left home. I left school in small rural Pennsylvania, and I went to an international school. I applied, and I was top of my class in St. Clair, Pennsylvania, which honestly was great, only it means nothing. When you're in the bigger world, top of your class out of 86 means nothing in the big picture. So uh, I applied to this international school, and my father, who was a teacher, said, good job, apply, but good luck. And I got an interview and he, he freaked out a little bit. The interview was in New York City. He had never gone out of, out of Pennsylvania to go to New York City. So he said, if you can get to New York City to the interview, you can go. And I got to New York City, found a friend who had a sister who lived in New York City. And we got on a bus together and went up for the weekend. And he said, okay, if you get the, the place you can go, but only if you get a scholarship, <laughs> I got a scholarship. So it was an international school of called Arm and Hammer United World College, the American West in New Mexico. And there were a hundred students in each class and it's my way of giving back. So that two years when I was 16, 17, 18 were the best two years of my education ever. And I lived with kids from 50 different countries and international understanding is a passion of mine. And so it's my way of giving back and giving someone a home uh, who needs a home for whether it's six weeks or nine months, the kids make it, make our home their home. I love it. So how important is contribution to your life and to your happiness? I mean, you're contributing in a big way to so many people's lives. How, what kind of impact does that have on your life? Because I think that's something that's missing from so many people's lives. And I'd love to hear what a difference that makes in your life to be able to do that kind of thing. Money is great. My business is great. Closing things is, is great. But contributing to a higher purpose, I think, it has value in my life. And to some people, maybe that's church. Maybe it's donating your time at a food pantry or a homeless shelter, or it's volunteering at your church every Sunday. For me, it's giving back to people who, who really need help as, as far as the students go. They need a home. Um, my husband and I are also trail angels on the Appalachian Trail. And so uh, on any given Friday in the summer, my husband will text me and say, I've got five of them. Uh, I'm going to Giant to buy food. We've got five in the house. 
this weekend and I will have five people sleeping on my floor and using my laundry and for an entire weekend. So um, it's, it's not just me, it's my husband and his philosophy as well. Uh, and as far as giving back to my association, it's about my, one of my biggest frustrations is the lack of professionalism and education in real estate. And so for me, giving back, that's my passion. I want to give back. I want to help make our association the most professional, the most educated I possibly can. Yeah. Well, congratulations to you. That just says a tremendous amount about you, that you guys, that you and your husband do that. So thanks for your efforts in making a difference in other people's lives. I want to ask you as well, what, what is your favorite book or your favorite source of learning? Because you've done a lot of learning. So what's, what's been, what's had the biggest impact on your life? I wish I had time to read more. I honestly am a passionate reader. I have not been able to read a book all year, I swear. Um, but I'm a big fan of podcasts and I love listening to the Wharton School of Business online. Um, I listen okay. to that as I'm driving. I just drove back and forth to Michigan. So, you know, an 11 hour trip and I listened nonstop to Wharton School of Business. HBR, Harvard Business Review, and Bloomberg, Bloomberg Radio. And uh, so, you, so you're going to Wharton and Harvard while you're driving down the street. What kind of content do they talk about in the, because I haven't been on either of those podcasts. I love podcasts as well, but I have not been on those. So what kind of content are you getting out of those? The funny thing is I put them on the loop and some of them are 20 minutes. Some of them are up to an hour. And some of, I do not pick my topics. I just keep playing the loop because sometimes I will hit a topic that I have no interest in, no interest in nanotechnology. As I was driving, I'm listening, like up comes professor such and such on nanotechnology in biomedicine. I don't care about that, but I learned something out of that podcast. And I find that sometimes I, I find nuggets of information I can actually use in my personal life or business out of the most obscure topics. There's something, I think it's Wharton that has masters of business it's called, and it's about an hour long and these obscure topics, people who are investment bankers who are way over my head, but you listen to that for an hour and you just, you learn general philosophies of business. Yeah, I'm going to have to listen to that Wharton School of Business. Uh, that sounds like something we should all be listening to if we if we love business. So thanks for opening me up to that. That is new for me. So I'm a, I'm a nerd. I'm sorry. No, I love it. That's great. Uh, I will be I will be adding that podcast to my list of podcasts today. Um, and what's your favorite place to visit? Your dad had never been out of Pennsylvania and probably didn't think you were going to get out of Pennsylvania. Now you've been all over the world. What, what's your favorite place to visit? My dad did travel. He was military, he went to Germany, blah, blah, blah. But to him getting in the car to go to Philadelphia was a major, major trip, let yeah. alone going to New York city. Um, I have a son in, in Alaska who's a pilot. I haven't been there yet. That's on the list, but I love traveling to Austin, Texas because my grandson's there. So I have a 20-month-old grandson, and I, I go every other month just to help out, help my son. And um, so I love traveling to Texas. I love the weather there. I love the terrain. So it's Yeah, nice. Well, it's good that your son moved there then, huh? Yep. Or 
yeah. Okay. Was it your son or daughter that moved there? My son and my grandson. Okay. Um, so how do people best get a hold of you if they want to reach out to you? Uh, I'd give you the name of my uh, real estate company. It's RamusRealty.com. Or you could check out EricaRamus.com. Erica Ramus is my personal website. Okay. All right, Erica. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great catching up with you and learning about your business and your personal life and what's important to you that drives your, your life ahead in big ways. So thanks for sharing that with us. For those of you listeners out there, please remember to go give us a review. It'll mean the world to me if you'll do that. It will help us also bring in more guests that will enhance your life by giving us those reviews. So that being said, Erica, have an amazing day. I look forward to getting to know you better. And if you want to get together on CSU to talk about ROI and how to do that easily, just let me know, just reach out and I'll be happy to touch base with you on that, okay? I will do that. All right, thank you. Thanks, Brian. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. If you have an interest in a free seven-day trial of Sisu, go to sisu.co, S-I-S-U dot C-O. Make sure that you use the coupon code GRIT, that's G-R-I-T, to waive all your set of fees and receive a 10% discount on your subscription. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to subscribe, search GRIT, the Real Estate Growth Mindset on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean. And with that, we'll catch you next time. Take care.